Empire. The changing landscape of sports betting varies greatly. I think liquidity is obviously incredibly important to um, to an exchange platform, and, and I think that's why having a slow rollout across the space is going to probably be one of the most difficult parts of of you know expanding that player pool. That's Eric Frank, CEO of Odds on Compliance, where navigating all the rules and regulations takes a monumental effort. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Eric Frank has a deep background in online gambling and gaming with years at PokerStars and some prominent fantasy players. And now that legal sports betting continues to make its way jurisdiction by jurisdiction, he knows that each state will have its own unique regulatory process. Our guest this week is Eric Frank. He's the CEO and the co-founder of Odds on Compliance, as all the sports betting operators must conform and deal with regulations that are disparate from state to state as the sports betting landscape continues to change in the United States. Hi, Eric. How are you? Doing well, Brian. Appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Okay. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do. Sure. So, Odds On Compliance, we're a regulatory and compliance uh, consulting practice. Um, kind of have two arms. One is um, a white glove consulting firm that helps uh, operators, suppliers, marketing affiliates, everyone who's kind of touching this space, understand their regulatory obligations and, and meet their compliance needs, uh, whether it be licensing or uh, you know, technical compliance issues, policy creation and documentation, internal controls, um, you know, lab approvals, um, auditing. We kind of, we have a team of experts across all of those fields that help people manage um manage their regulatory compliance across the U.S. Uh, the other arm of our business is a, is a technology firm, uh, which we are basically creating technology to make regulatory compliance easier, uh, more efficient, and more cost-effective. So uh, we build products um, you know, that, that, that kind of help, help people manage their regulatory compliance on a day-to-day. And, and that's based off the experience you know, my team has, the feedback we get from the industry on you know, their, their pain points and, you know, what they're doing manually that, you know, that we can help build uh, products to help create uh, more efficient ways of doing it. On that second part, can you be specific? Like, what kind of technology are you building that sure. helps people stay in compliance? Yeah, so the first product uh, we put out on the market uh, was a product called Playbook. Uh, Playbook is a aggregation of all the statutes, regulations, advisory opinions, technical bulletins, informal guidance, formal guidance, license applications, all the information that all these regulators put out, uh, instead of having to go to 30 different websites and navigate 30 different sites, all looking a little different, um, we've aggregated all that information. We keep it up to date on a daily basis. People can go to one place, look at uh, and cross compare states, look at different um, requirements state by state, uh, side by side, and it's all kept up to date. So you're not going to a regulator's website, downloading a set of regulations, looking, reading them, thinking about it, or, or moving on to 20 different other things, coming back in a month and a half, wondering whether you still have that uh, most up to date current set of regulations. 
we keep it all up to date um, and live. We've added some uh, natural language AI um, capabilities so that people can kind of ask questions, uh, ask a question that they have across multiple states at once rather than having to spend hours doing research or quite frankly spending thousands of dollars on uh, their, you know, sending those questions out to their lawyers. Um, on the regulations state to state, are they varying greatly? So there are some significant distinctions between states. Um, easy examples are, uh, you know, like license costs and fees and, you know, varying from nothing to a couple thousand dollars to a million dollars in different states. So, you know, from, from that perspective, as someone plans or is looking at a, a state, um, you know, to, to enter a market, you know, some of those, some of those costs, some of the timelines, some of the requirements, um, just to get in, into the market are, are, are significant, um, and need to go into a, a planning, you know, planning phase. So understanding that, looking at each market, um, being able to analyze each market, uh, is important. And then, and then once you're up and running in each market, uh, yeah, there are varying, uh, varying degrees of requirements. Uh, I mean, a lot of the frameworks are the same, but, but some states require, uh, for example, advanced approval of, um, advertisements. Uh, so you have to get, you know, promotions. Some states require you to get regulatory approval for promotions. Others just require you to submit them in advance. Others just require you to keep a log of all your promotions. And, and you know, so knowing which state requires what and, and, and being able to look at that and, um, you know, across multiple jurisdictions. Is, is critical for, for folks to keep in mind. And for the states that turned what would be now a few years ago, three, four, five years ago, whatever it was when they finally started to happen, are you seeing that their regulations are changing or once everything is kind of set that that's just how things stay? Yeah, there's definitely changes in regulation. Uh, but more importantly, I think there's there's changes in, in uh, just formal or informal guidance that the regulators put out, uh, you know, not necessarily by codifying that type of change, but, but just, you know, adapting. And, and I think the regulators in the U.S. have done a phenomenal job of, uh, you know, getting, a, getting a framework in place, um, and then, and, and then adapting and, and listening to the, you know, listening to the industry, obviously maintaining their independence and, and, you know, the, they're there to protect the customers, the players um, within that state. So keeping that at the forefront of mind, but also understanding like from the industry, understanding, you know, player behavior and, and uh, issues that the regu- that operators are having, um, you know, and adapting to that. So, so whether that's through regulatory changes, which we've seen a lot of, um, or just changes, um, you know, by, advisory opinion or formal guidance or something like that. All right. I'll ask you about um, just some broad questions about the marketplace with sports gambling in a minute, but could you tell me your background? How did you get into this? Sure. So my background, I, I spent about eight and a half years practicing law at an AmLaw 100 firm exclusively in the gaming industry. Um, went in-house uh, to PokerStars, the largest online poker yeah. you know, provider globally. Um, started as their U.S. regulatory advisor, helping them get launched in various markets in the U.S., uh, expanded into a role as their global compliance officer, uh, managing 25 licenses around the globe, regulatory affairs, uh, 
Um, so, you know, saw and, you know, was rolling up my sleeves in, in regulations across, across the globe. Um, you know, saw a need for, um, you know, a, a technology to make regulatory compliance more efficient. Um, and I've always kind of had that in, in, you know, in my mind and talking to others kind of similarly situated and other you know, global compliance, uh, global operators, uh, understanding their pain points too, very similar to mine. I just figured there has to be a better way. And then when I saw the, you know, the opportunity in the U.S. of just the explosion and how quickly sports betting is happening here, um, you know, I, just, I, I figured let, let me, let me build, let me bring together, you know, the best of the best. So we, I went out and got former regulators, former heads of compliance from various operators, uh, former independent testing lab specialists, uh, licensing specialists, audit specialists, and, and just decided to build a team uh, to serve the industry. All right. Well, then uh, let me get back to sports gambling in a minute because I used to play a lot of online poker, and then the country made it very difficult to do that. So, you know, um, now that sports gambling is legal in, in many different parts of the country and will continue to change, What's the future of online poker? Is that going to come back and be essentially legal here again? It's a, it's a great question. I, my my belief is that you know we will see uh, maybe not as fast uh, um, a rollout uh, that, that we've seen in sports betting, but we will see a extended iGaming and iPoker rollout or re-rollout for iPoker, if you will, but like a rollout across the U.S. over the next, uh, you know, over over this decade in the, in, in the 2020s. Um, I, you know, certainly, I, I think you look at the states that have authorized and, and, are, and have iGaming, uh, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, as, as perfect examples, uh, versus their, the, the states around them. The amount of revenue that and tax dollars that uh, that iGaming brings versus versus sports betting uh, is a significant difference. Uh, there's a, a, a lot uh, there's a lot of tax revenue to be generated on, on iGaming, um, and I think while right now the states may not be in a you know, fiscal crisis um, and, and are still kind of I want to say flush with cash, but have a good amount of money coming out of COVID with some of some of the money that they uh, receive from the federal government. I, I think states aren't in a in a desperate position right now, but certainly if there's an economic downturn um, over the next couple of years, the states could be looking for other ways to create tax revenue, and 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 i gaming can can certainly um, can certainly bring that. Um, you know. Are are you suggesting i gaming? makes more than sports gambling from a tax from a from a from a tax perspective yes like the the uh you know the the handle like what gets what gets taxed at the end of the day on on sports betting is uh you know is you know i think uh a lot is a lot less than what what states are making on on uh or Specifically casino, less less of poker, but 
This episode is brought to you by Chalk and Dog, which brings together the vast experience and expertise of two of the brightest agencies in media, sports, wagerings, and gaming. With deep roots in the UK and the US, the agency offers expert guidance in everything from market entry to market expansion for startups as well as established global brands powered by best-in-class communication and creative experts. Chalk and Dog has vast international experience and delivers results-oriented, tailor-made solutions for B2B and B2C organizations. Okay, let me get back to sports gambling in that market space as it can continue to grow. Um, So for a group that wants to enter the marketplace in a legalized state, what are the challenges that they run into when they try to do this? So I think there's a few. First, uh, for for most states, um, most states require market access. So you need a market access partner that typically is a land-based casino or in, in some of the quote-unquote newer states coming on board, it can be a, a professional team. Uh, we've seen that in Arizona, Ohio, others, where you can partner with a professional team to be your quote-unquote market access partner. Uh, those those market access deals come with a significant cost. Um, so I think there's a, there's a heavy burden, a cost burden, um, to, to getting in the market from, from having a market access partner. And then if, you know, then looking at new, if it's a new operator for state, there, uh, there are a, there are a lot of regulatory requirements and controls that, that, that can be new to, uh, folks. So whether that's, um, whether that's, you know, drafting a full set of internal controls and documentation and, and really fully understanding how your product um, is going to work on paper and, and explaining that to a regulator like that, that takes a significant amount of time. I think the licensing process is fairly broke, so full scrutiny on uh, the company, uh, full scrutiny on individuals who own, typically for individuals who own 5% or more of the company, uh, going through a full kind of regulatory um, uh, exam to, you know, to, to understand you know, where have they lived since they've been 18, what jobs have they had, what's their full net worth look like, have they ever been arrested, have they ever gone bankrupt, have they, you know, have they been divorced, you know, uh, all this information is, is kind of what regulators require and um, to do a full background investigation to make sure that there's no unsuitable persons involved in in the industry and you know for a lot of folks that's a it's a fairly uh, in-depth review that, that people aren't used to mm. um okay um we've had a few guests here that are launching peer-to-peer gambling um what do you make of that do you believe that that will be a trend in the united states and what are the challenges of attempting to pull that off i i think exchange wagering certainly has a place in the market peer-to-peer um we've seen you know a couple of folks launch in uh, new jersey recently uh there's you know one in tennessee the other states uh i think probably the biggest challenge right now is is the the fact that you know we haven't really seen regular regulation or regulators kind of adopt regulations around um, exchange wagering. So getting, while I think there's nothing prohibiting it in the majority of states, getting the regulators to sign off and approve it could, could take some time. So I think there could be a, 
um, you know, th that could be a, a slow rollout, uh, but certainly I think there's definitely a place in the market for it. Um, you know, typically you find good quote unquote deals, um, in, in those spots, uh, for folks. I, I think liquidity is obviously incredibly important to, um, to an exchange platform. And, and I think that's why having a slow rollout across the states is going to probably be one of the most difficult parts of, of, you know, expanding that player pool. Okay. Um, as you look around the country and there are still a lot of jurisdictions that have not legalized it, I would assume a, a few won't like places that may have some form of religious objection, like Utah, something like that. But there are others that are either lagging behind or, or waiting to do so. What do you think is the hang up for the places that have not done this yet? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. I think, I think looking at the states that are still out there, some big ones, Texas, California, uh, you know, they're going, they're going to come. California may not come this year. I think the, the you know, the ballot measures there are, are on their way to, to failing. Um, it looks like by all polls, um, or recent polls. Uh, but, but I, I think we need to take a step back and look at, look at this in perspective in 2018 there was you know one and a half states really that had uh sports betting uh we've seen you know an explosion in in three 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 and a half years uh to you know more than one third of the population is now in this in, in the state where they can place place bet so while while you know people in texas or or florida where i am um Although they had it legal for a little bit, California, other big states are, you know, sitting there waiting. We, we, we do have to reflect that this has states have moved fairly quickly. We've, you know, we've seen a number of, you know, 30 plus states uh, authorized already. So I, I you know, I, I think looking at the ones that are out there, Texas has a good opportunity in 2023 when their uh, legislature comes back to, uh, comes, comes back in a session. Um, you know, I would, if I'm, if I were a betting man, I'd, I'd, I'd perhaps put some money on, on that happening in 2023 there. Uh, Massachusetts is going, you know, just is going through the process right now. They're having a, uh, a marathon, uh, session yesterday and today discussing, uh, regulation and their process. Ma Maryland just announced, um, you know, they're, or, or just, uh, um, said that they're looking to get up and running by, you know, by the end of the year. So there is there is significant movement in, in the states that are you know either in the process of regulating. We saw Kansas regulate, pass pass a law, draft regulations, get people licensed, and launch within a you know less than six month period, which is you know rapid. I mean, lightning fast for any any regulator and any job managing that market. So I think it's you know it's uh, we're seeing. You know, we're seeing progress uh, every day, and, and when you're talking about legislation and regulation, that is um, that typically goes at a, a glacial pace. I, th yeah. I think um, you know we have to take that into consideration. Eric Frank is the CEO and the co-founder of Odds on Compliance. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. On the next Future Sport Podcast, the future of ticketing is envisioned as a digital passport. Paper tickets and barcode tickets were a thing. Um, 
they work fine. They get people in the door. Ticketing is boring. No one cares about it, you know, so just leave it alone. Pandemic, people got to actually sit back and think and actually look at technology for the first time, especially in this sector where no one had any work for 18 months. And they sat back and they said, okay, wait a second, maybe there is a better way. That's Josh Katz, CEO of Yellowheart, who is turning the digital ticketing experience into a major utility feature. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.